you've exposed it. He said, we knew you could dig, but we never knew you could dig that deep. He then said, what you've exposed is going to F us past, present and future. This cannot and will not ever get out. He said, if you mention a word of this, you will be thrown to the wolves. He then said, you will lose everything. And that means your job, your home, your kids, you will lose it all. You need to shut your effing mouth. And I was just dumbstruck. I was like, for real? And he said, we never thought you would dig this deep. You have no understanding how deep this goes. So you're, <clears throat> excuse me, you're a dis- detective constable. So one would have thought in your job, somebody who was professionally good at their job would be good at digging. You dig, you absolutely start to see what's going on. And then I'm just going to use the phrase, these people, these people are so confident that they threaten you point blank in a room. With a witness. With a witness. With a witness, yeah. Um, At the time, my youngest boy was still quite young. And I was petrified. I'd have my kids taken off me. I really thought I'd cross the mafia. And you're right, it was the confidence, the way it was portrayed against me. And the other thing, which was very bizarre, he said, he said, how do you think you've been treated? Do you think you've been bullied? I went, you're damn right I've been bullied. He said, you have. You've been bullied. He said, there's a form to fill out, a fairness at work form. I'm instructing you to get it now and fill it out. And, and, and the police is absolutely awash with this form. It's a form for everything. And he told me the number of the form. He said, you fill it out, you put exactly what's gone on. You've got to do that, son. I said, oh, I will. You know, I will. And he said, and then do you know what happened to it? I went, well, it will go somewhere and get investigated. He said, no, I'll tell you what happened. He said, all those that you've mentioned will be brought in and they will be interviewed. I said, right, okay, good, good. That's brilliant. He said, and then it'll come to me to be ratified. He said, and do you know what I'll do with it? I said, will you pass it on to, you know, corruption command or something? I don't know. He said, well, not really. And he points to a bin. He'll go, go in that bin. And it will stay in that bin. He said, I will never betray, betray fellow rank and nor will they. You've no idea what you're up against. Shut your effing mouth. And he got my hand and he, and he said, you've got to give me your a gentleman's agreement now. You never, ever look into child prostitution ever again. Now, what, what happened then, Brian, was I left there totally, totally uh, frightened, really frightened. And that, that was a, a bit of a, a spiral downhill for me. And then over the, the coming years, I left that unit. I left straight away and I said to him, I can't work under you. Yeah, so the, the, these are colleagues that you're doing a difficult and you're doing a dangerous job out on the ground and you rely on the backing of your police colleagues to actually protect you against people who are uh, organised crime. Why don't they go for you? Because they know if they go for you, you're going to be protected by the police. And here are your police colleagues simply turning around and threatening you in the same way. Which is vicious. Vicious, and it, and it is a conspiracy. And, I mean, conspiracies exist in law. You can conspire yeah. to commit murder. You can, it's, it's in statute law. It's a criminal offence. It's a criminal offence. Conspiracy is. So, you know, when people go, bandits, conspiracy theorists, there's no theory about it. This is conspiracy reality. And, and I was in the centre of a very horrible conspiracy. And so frightened, I couldn't tell anyone. I generally thought they would come for me and come for my children. And the other thing is, I've seen firsthand what the care system is and there's nothing caring about it you know it is a paedophiles playground these kids get and the other thing is i was working with informants 
And a lot of these formants have been in the care system. And one of them turned around to me and said, whatever you do, you never let your children go into care. Because what will happen is, if you ain't there, they, one, one of my kids was a little bit, he was a little bit behind with things. And I used to tell this bloke, he said, they'll go for him straight away. They will get it. Don't ever lay in bed thinking they won't get it. They will get it. And by get it, you know, you, you, know, you know what I mean. And, uh, so, right, so so what what happens now then? So you've been threatened? Well, what, what happens now is I say I can't work under you. So I leave and I go on to a child abuse unit and I end up in North London, a very busy part of North London. And I start on this unit and they're investigating child abuse. And I'm in there and I get approached by a detective sergeant and said, look, as well as being an investigator, do you want to take on an additional role? I said, well, like what? They said, well, there's all sorts of things you can do. Um, I said, is there one to do with um, a liaison with children's homes? went, yeah, 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 there is. The, the girl left two years ago. I said, was there any issues with, with, with it? And she said, no, 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 no issues. It's an easy number. You'll get given a day here and there to go and deal with it. There'll be a odd meeting, but over two years, she never had any issues at all. I said, did child prostitution ever crop up? Oh, no, no, we don't get any of that. I went, okay. And this was a borough, the London borough of Haringey. Now, Haringey has the most amount of kids home of any sort of local authority in the country. I think it was about 22 to 26 care homes for a small London borough. Anyway, so I was given assurances that it weren't a problem. So I picked up the phone and I asked for a list of all the care homes from social services. So they faxed it through because the police didn't have a copy of it. It came through and it had the phone numbers and I rang, I rang them up. First, and I said, this is so-and-so care home. And yeah, I said, I told him who I was. I said, nothing to worry about, but this is what I'm looking into. But when, oh, right. I said, how many children you got in? He said, about five. I said, how many do you lose at a weekend to crime? And I'm on about prostitution and things like that. He went, oh, three. I went, you what? I said, what? He said, yeah, they usually go missing on a Thursday and come back on a Monday. I said, do you, do you think they're involved in, in prostitution? Oh, no, we know they are. I went, right, well, has the police ever been to speak to you about it? I went, no, the police come and pick up the missing persons form, but the kids come back. I said, well, what are the kids like? She said, oh, they're in the right state, some of them. Some of them are bleeding, some of them are so high on drugs. We know that come Wednesday, they're going to be kicking off because they've not had their drugs. They've all got money on them, you know. And I said, oh, my God. So that was like real time. So all of a sudden, I've got three kids within six minutes. By the end of three days, I'd found 50 children. 50 children. So I held a strategy meeting and I brought in the social services. I brought in... Uh, this is Haringey Social. Haringey, Haringey Social Services. I think Hackney might have turned up, neighbouring boroughs, you know. Um, and then, because you get an overspill sometimes. I then, I had a representative for, uh, who dealt with child trafficking for Bernardo's. I had connections, a lot of these youth NGO groups came. There was a lot of people there. And, and I laid out my my uh, plan and I, I worked out a formula of how to deal with it using a simple act on the Children's Act and a section of the Children's Act relating to taking a child out of care at an unreasonable hour. And I'd done my research and I was just attacked, firstly by a head of social services who started screaming at me saying, what have you done to us? There's 50 care plans we've now got implemented because of you. I said, but you must have known about these kids. I went, yeah, but they didn't come to notice, so we weren't bothered. I said, well, they're making money. They're, you know, and, and um, he said, well, 
we've got so much work to do. You've created an absolute nightmare for us. You're a headache. Uh, so that was made clear that I wouldn't get much help from them. And then Bernardo's, the, the woman in charge of, of that unit for Bernardo's, she then um, turned around and said, you're treading on toes. You know for a fact that a child will never betray their pimp. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, you'll never prove it because the kids won't, you know, that's their source of money. I said, well, I know that. That's why I'm going on this other uh, statute law that will give me a power to search and seize property and everything. And they went, well, you can't just do that. There's a protocol here. There is an officer, senior officer, who I'll be reporting you to because they're already dealing with it. I went, well, who's that? So you mentioned this name. By senior officer, she meant a senior police officer. Senior police officer, yeah, who wasn't vice. Now, vice had governance for that. This was some other man. And they said, there is an operation running. I said, well, I need to talk to this man. And she placed 20 actions on me to complete before I did any work. And each action could take me days. So, sorry, who placed those actions on this, you? This was Bernardo's. This, this, because it was it was a partnership working. When you deal with children, it's all working together, you know. And I was absolutely f- flabbergasted what was going on. And um, so I, I spoke to my inspector, and he said, "Well, just crack on. Don't worry about it. Crack on and, and do what you've got to do." So the next day, I went out and I got a result straight away. I got a girl that was being pimped out, and I got a pimp, and it worked. So then I get a call from this high-ranking officer who is his chief superintendent. So I have to go up to one of the police buildings and he said, just treading on toes, get it back off. We've got an officer dealing with this. I said, well, dealing with what? Prostitution of children in care homes for London. We've got it under wraps. And I said, well, who is it? So he gave me the name of this girl and I called her. And she said, it's a load of crap. She said, I've, uh, I've been to a meeting but I've never dealt with any victims. Uh, and I, how can I nick? She said, it's just me. I don't even know where these kids' homes are. I've not even visited one. I said, so you're not investigating? She said, no, how can I? So it was a load of lies. So that was shut down, right? Then lo and behold, I moved. And then I get a call that the girl that was at the, the Zoe, the young girl that was at the centre of the other operation, was found dead on the street in a suspicious overdose. Just found dumped in the street dead. How old? Just remind us. Of By this time, I think she was getting off for 15, 16, something around mm-hmm. that area. You know, she'd, a year or so had passed. So a 15-year-old girl's yeah. just, just found dead. Key, in key the... witness to, to this case, dumped on the street. Um, and then it, it just absolutely it destroyed me, you know. And they never investigated another case of child prostitution. The vice unit never did. Um, what happened then was I left... Um, I'd got moved, so I ended up having to deal with other sorts of crime involving children, but was never dragged back into that area. Um, I shut my mouth for quite a while. Um, and then what happened was the Jimmy Savile scandal broke. And I thought, my God, it's not just me, there's others. And then Clive Driscoll came forward. And then um, Lenny Harper from uh, the States of Jersey Police, you know, the senior officer there, he he was running the care home uh, inquiry in Hotel Green in Jersey, and it gave me better hope. But then that was shut down, and I can remember him on telly saying that it's now uh, coconut. They've the lab report saying the bones they've seized are coconut and not bone, and I'm thinking it's been a cover up. Um, so I then came forward. About 2014, I went to the uh, went to my inspector first and said, look, I need to talk to someone. I want to make an allegation of, of serious corruption there. 
involving child prostitution cover-ups, and he totally dismissed it. So I then went to the corruption command, and I said, I need to speak to someone very, very senior. It has to be a detective, and it has to be a woman. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I don't know. Women won't roll their trouser legs up, meaning a Masonic link, because without entering into the conspiracy realm again, masonry does have a big stronghold in the police. It has a hold in the police, but then when you uh, become a detective, it, it intensifies, and when you're a detective on a specialist role, it is almost like a sticker rock, masonry through it, you know. I'm not knocking it. I work with many of them. I've not got an issue with them, but it is another allegiance that you don't need. Just you know? given a detached viewpoint, it has an, has an impact. It does, without yeah. a doubt. And anyone, and I'll tell you how much it has an impact. When I went to a job agency to try and get work as a, a civilian detective, I was told by the agency, um, have you been or are you a Mason? And I said, well, why are you asking that? He said, we cannot take anyone who is a or has been a Mason. I said, well, why is that? And they said, because it has ruined too many inquiries, and namely the Hillsborough Inquiry was deliberately frustrated by the Masons, deliberately. According to this security according company? To, according to this, um, yeah, a recruitment. Yeah. Rec- sorry, recruitment and, company. And that is their, their, one of the main ones for recruiting civilian investigators, and they, they their baseline is the first question they ask you, are you a Mason? Okay, so just... Sticking with what happened to you, so you decided right. you were right. going to whistle blow. I whistle blow, and I, I made an allegation against a senior officer who, since then, had been promoted to one of the highest posts in the country. Um, made the allegation, and I was assured that this will be taken in the most utmost seriousness. And don't worry, we will investigate it. So I said, okay. I then get informed by the Metropolitan Police Federation, that I'm to be served with gross misconduct papers, no, misconduct papers. I said, well, what, what have I done? They said, uh, you've um, data protection violations. I said, well, I haven't violated anything. They said, well, don't worry, we're assured it'll be a management action. Right, okay. Then the, the police were dragging their heels over my allegations, so I, I pushed forward and they wouldn't reply to me. So I made a complaint to the... IPCC, the Independent Police Complaints Commission, uh, they said, we won't get involved. Then all of a sudden, my misconduct allegations have been elevated to gross misconduct. I'm like, really? Well, why? Well, I was told then, don't worry, we're going to look into it and it will be resolved. I then um, get put in touch with an MP called Simon Danchuk, at the time was champion the abuse cover-ups. And you see more and more cover-ups coming out. And one of the key ones was the Rotherham scandal. And there was a detective from, from Great Manchester Police called Maggie Oliver. And I was asked if I wouldn't mind being put in touch with Maggie Oliver. Her story is very similar to mine. So I met with Maggie Oliver. And her story was strikingly similar. And what she said to me was, John, watch it. She said, have they served you misconduct papers yet? I said, yeah. She said, you'll get arrested next because that's what they did to me. You'll put before a tribunal, you'll get be found guilty and they will sack you. That's exactly what they did to me and that's what they'll do to you. They'll raid your house, they'll do everything. John, just tell us what, just really briefly, what 
was her story? You say it's strikingly similar. Was she, she dealing she, with children? She was dealing with children from the care system in, in Rotherham, in uh, South Yorkshire, I think. And, um, well, Greater Manchester, it's come under the Greater Manchester, you know, uh, uh, policing district. And it was young girls being groomed and pimped out by, by Asian uh, minicab firms, everything else. Uh, but these kids were also client with the you know the clientele of people that had a bit of money and everything else and she exposed it and she was bullied bullied into silence told to shut her mouth it's not a problem forget about it and it was exactly the same as what i was dealing with but on a provincial level and she's her bullying that she encountered was exactly the same as mine but she did get sacked she got required to resign um and she was stitched up, and she was stitched up by Peter Fahey, who was at the time the, uh, the, you know, chief constable of, of Great Manchester Police. And it was the, the the similarities were striking. I then get put in touch with um, a man called Lenny Harper, and Lenny Harper had, had uh, exposed the um, child abuse uh, murder and. and you know, sexual abuse scandal in the Hotel Green, and the other thing was that it had been covered by you know um, a really good friend and and, and, a, and a proper activist, Bill Maloney. You know, child abuse, and he'd been on his. So um, I've got in touch with Lenny. So Lenny said, "Come on, come and see me." So I went up to see Lenny, and he told me his story. And again, the similarities were absolutely unbelievable. So there's a there's a template in operation here as to what happens to police officers that stand up and say there's a cover-up of child abuse. Yep, and also that they are bullied so monumentally that some of these coppers are committing suicide. I then get asked to go to a whistleblowers forum in, in Parliament and there's a chief, and a retired chief constable there called Tom Lloyd of Cambridgeshire and uh, he then, here's my story, and says, well, this is shocking, um, but you're not alone. And far that, I get put in touch with uh, a detective sergeant from Hampshire who had exposed a kid's home inquiry, uh, child prostitution thing, in on the Isle of Wight. And he had been bullied to the point of almost suicide, and they'd arrested him again for minor data protection and other issues, and bullied him to the point of almost suicide. And he now campaigns for coppers that are suffering post-traumatic stress and suicidal. He's got a, right. a, an outreach group. And he then says, you know, there's so many coppers are, are topping themselves, but this is what they will do. They will ruin you, John. So I've got three coppers, all of them that, are, that uncovered child abuse, high-level child abuse, and all of them have, have been bullied monumentally to the point of virtual suicide, you know. And, um, and each one of them warned me, warned me what would happen. So... I thought, well, this is outrageous. The public need to know. And the police and the IPCC kept covering up, refused to progress my allegation. The IPCC even said if I wrote to them again, they wouldn't even open my letters. So I then took the matter to the cabinet. I got in touch with the policing and crime minister, Mike Penning, and said, you need to sit down with me. And he did. Fair play to him, he did. He said he was shocked and stunned at what I'm saying. He afforded me privilege. I then informed the police that I'd spoken to him and then they tried to get me done again on discipline, gross misconduct for talking to a politician. And luckily that got overturned because it was just a vicious attack, you know. 
um, he then said, right, we will implement an independent inquiry into what's happened to you and to what's happening all told. Because I said there is an algorithm of bullying. And he, did can I, sorry to interject? Did he um, uh, did he acknowledge the the extent of the child abuse, which is the heart of this matter? You'd obviously told him what you had discovered. Did he actually register that yeah, there was yeah. this? Happening? Well, well, I I told him. I said this is massive. I said the, the tentacles of this go right to the heart of the establishment. And this is causing the whole detriment to society and it's probably even influencing politics. And I said, and I've got um, evidence of that and I explained to him about the thing with Leon Britt. You know, and all the time it's coming out in the press that this man's innocent and everything else. But then Bernard Hogan held a commissioner of the Met Police turned around and refused to apologise to Lady Britain. So I'm thinking, well, maybe he knows something that I know. So Mike Penning... Um, then stopped all contact with me. Uh, I was assured by his wife, he'll ring me, he'll update me, and I couldn't get hold of him at all. So um, the police then... I'd, I just want to say, this is the man whose sole responsibility is policing. Yeah. Policing. And you are telling him of the cover-up of major crime involving children, young yeah. girls... And what he does is completely cuts you off. Well, what, what, what he said, I met him on quite a few occasions and I got brought to his parliament, uh, parliamentary office, his ministerial office, you know, and he's right next to Michael Gove. They, they share the same corridor. And I'm in there and he turned around to me and this is his exact words. He said, what concerns me most about this is the public perception when this gets out. And that's all he was worried about. You know, how is it going to look on the establishment when this goes out? But at the end of the day, I told him. And it, in, to my opinion, uh, things might have changed. But as far as I'm aware, he's done nothing. He might surprise me yet. I'm not sure. But I've asked repeatedly for the investigation team to get in touch with me. And they haven't. Um, and and it, it, absolute nonsense, you know, that you come out with. Um, and then he said to me, I, I give you my assurances that Bernard Hogan Howe, who is a friend of mine, will be shocked when he finds out. So I said, well, are you going to tell him? He said, I will tell him. He will be told. And as far as I'm aware, he didn't never told him. So in the end, I went, so carried on back to work and everything else. And all of a sudden I found out that, that my allegations that were now um, sort of being ignored, the police's then uh, sort of investigation of me for data protection had gone from management action, minor misconduct, which I would have denied anyway because I did wrong. It went from that to misconduct to gross misconduct. Now they've sent a file to the CPS for an impending prosecution against me. And I thought, right, well, I've had enough of this. This is outrageous. So I, I said, I got hold of the commissioner. And I said to the commissioner, I wrote to him. This is Sir Bernard Sir Hogan. Hogan Howe. And I said, you know, the man that I've made serious allegations against, in which there is witnesses to this, has been promoted. Not only has been promoted, he's been promoted with royal assent and given the Queen's Police Medal two years after I made allegations. Now, the format is if you're under investigation for serious issues, you do not get promoted. Your career's on hold to it's sorted out. And I wanted then to get out of the police, but they wouldn't let me resign because I was placed under investigation. So I couldn't do anything. 
I said, you hounded me, you've destroyed me, you've ruined me, yet I've done nothing wrong. Now you want to prosecute me? I said, I'll tell you what, you put me before a court and I will tell the world, because it will be public domain, that this is a vicious cover-up of a whistleblower for, you know, hindering and covering up child prostitution. And I and I told him everything, Bernard Hogan, I put everything in the letter, but all of a sudden, everything changed. All of a sudden, the senior management... Uh, the assistant commissioners, they're, they're behind me, they're no longer prosecuting me, they're, they're, they're trying to um, forward my early retirement and everything else. Um, but, the, you know, and other things they did was that they um, they halved my pay without even telling me. They cut my pay in half. Right. Which is all things I was told would happen, would happen. Right, John, you, you were saying there that they're moving you towards um, early retirement. Yep which obviously is is of some comfort to you because you you still have to you still have to live and and you're entitled to a pension and everything yeah. from your time serving in the police what have they actually done to start to investigate the key thing well, of well, the well, massive cover up of the it, abuse of children it, it was quite funny because in 2012 I was in Scotland Yard and and the witness I had in the room at the time when the senior officer bullied me, saw me in Scotland Yard and she came up to me and she burst into tears. She grabbed me. She said, I've got quite a powerful job now. And she said, I've got my own office in the yard. I need to talk to you. Can you come and see me? I said, yeah, I'll come. I'll come. So I went to her office and she just burst into tears. She grabbed hold of me, hugged me and she said, can you ever forgive me for what happened? And I said, well, what are you on about? She said, I watched them bully you and destroy you. And everything you said happened. That little girl died. I said, oh, yeah, I know about that. She said, and since you did what you did, they never investigated another case of child prostitution. And that was 2004, 2005. They never investigated another case. So nearly 10 years of all those serious, serious crimes. I mean, you're talking raping of children, just short of murder, really. In seriousness, they never investigated another, another. I mean, they, they even had a transgender crime unit. And transgender crime, it, it equated for like 0.001% of all. So it was a team investigating that. But child prostitution, there was nothing, nothing. Nothing. And she said, everything you said was right. I left the unit because of how they treated you. Please, please forgive me. Right. So they never, never touched it after that. John, you, you are in still in a delicate situation with the police. So uh, I'll say that we'll, we'll just end that yeah. bit there on your relationship and how, how things are going for leaving yeah. the police. Just to finish, give us some, um, what, what is your opinion of, of what you've uncovered? What, what is going on? Well, well funny enough, I, I was asked this when, when I was interviewed as a witness and they said, why do you think they did this? And I said, well, because they're involved. There, there is a cover-up and these people are appointed into these key positions where they have total governance of all these allegations. So they can't be dealt with by any other unit other than the specialist unit. So there's like a filter they go through and then internally in this unit they will be filtered again. What gets preceded with and what doesn't so that they have total autonomy on what they deal with and what, what they don't deal with. So these people are put in place to make sure these allegations don't get out. And it's not just that. All them years that I worked um, in, in this remit, 
we would get what they call referrals. Now, referrals could come from schools, referrals could come from playgroups, from wherever. And all the years I worked on, on child abuse investigations, I was aware of only once a referral coming through from NSPCC. Only once. Now, bear in mind, they've got Childline, and all them kids that will be ringing up Childline, especially when Jimmy Savile got nicked and everything else, why didn't they ever come through? Why didn't they ever come through? And these people are filters. And my opinion is they, they are filters that, that these people are deliberately put in there to protect those that are involved, deliberately. John, thank, thank you very much for right. having the courage to uh, come and talk us through that. And I'm, I am very, very sure that uh, the people that listen in to this interview will not only be shocked at what you've said, but they will also be putting together information in their minds because, of course, you've taken us through those experiences. And what have we seen? We've seen more and more of this coming up to the surface in the public uh, press and media, all then dis dismissed and it's all suppressed. It all drifts away into the long grass. And you are one of, we now know, a number of officers who've had the courage to stand up and say, no, this is real, it's going on. And you've paid a pretty heavy price for it. So I'm going to say I think this will really get people thinking. And thank you very much for having the courage to talk. No, that's quite right. I mean, all I will say is people have come forward, but they've always got retired before their name. Retired before their name. What a statement for John to come forward with that police officers who dare to stand up and expose the cover-up of child abuse are bullied, harassed and retired. Against the background of child abuse, which we are seeing across the country, whether it's Holly Gregg in Scotland, whether it's Rotherham, whether it uh, is Melanie Shaw with the Beechwood Nottingham abuse, Mickey Summers, another name there, across the country we are seeing time and time again child abuse survivors coming forward and telling their story. And now with the help of John we can really get to understand that the people covering up this abuse are the highest, are people in the highest echelons of society. They are the members of parliament. They're the lords. They're the senior police officers. They are the establishment figures. And as we have heard, worst of all, perhaps, they are some of the very charities that say they are there to protect children. One current case that... Uh, provides a background to all of the things that John has been talking about, must be the Brian and Janice Doherty case. Uh, you can listen to the interviews with this uh, mum and dad on UK Column website, but this is the story of parents whose only crime, if I can call it that, is to report that a man tried to buy their son for sex and when they report that incident to the police in Scotland they become the criminals they become hunted by social services and ultimately they are the parents who have four children taken from them uh, by armed Garda police in Ireland. There can only be one explanation for how that was possible and that is that there is as John says a conspiracy at the highest levels to protect those who abuse children and in particular to protect those at the highest levels of society. 
Well, I think my work on Wiki Spooks has given me a certain circumspection as regards interpreting of deep events. There often seems to me to be multiple different groups of people with different ambitions, sometimes busy trying to play each other and not being upfront about what are the real purposes. Let's re-listen to just a short snippet from what John had to say about prostitutes, care homes, drug addicts, and the system under which ordinary rank-and-file police officers are expected to operate. And you could process a prostitute very quickly via custody. And it was pointless because all of them were drug addicts. All of them had come from the care system. And if you brought a kid in, that was your night finished. The car was taken off the road and that was it so that you wouldn't get the figures. So you just encouraged not to deal with them. It's quite a claim that all the prostitutes were from care homes, that they were all drug addicts. Nevertheless, regular listeners might recall episode 653, the biopsychosocial approach, in which Dr. Gabor Mate, after decades of working with drug users, says something very congruent. The system of incentives and targets works against the policing of certain laws whilst promoting other laws. Of course, you may say, every system would do that. Do we need to have a system? Well, if we're going to be controlling the organisation from a high level, then a system would seem to offer more potential for doing that than allowing people high measures of individual discretion. Now let's hear the context of the quotes from Sibel Edmonds, with which I opened the show. She's speaking on Newsbud about the importance of media integrity in the context of the Podesta scandal. Hi everyone, I'm Spiro with Newsbud.com, joined with Sibel Edmonds for Newsbud Spotlight. We're going to be taking a look at some of the information that's been coming out throughout the presidential campaign. Uh, WikiLeaks has been posting a whole lot of information, uh, leaking out in emails, uh, specifically more recently on John Podesta, the chairman of the Clinton campaign or the former Clinton campaign. And we have been receiving a lot of emails asking us, uh, what's our take on John Podesta's email content that has been leaked? Sibel? Well, let me first start by saying, thank God the elections shenanigan is over after one year plus of nothing but but puff, puff, puff information and billions of dollars to be exact, over six billion dollars of expenditure. Having this mockery called presidential elections in in the United States, so I'm glad that that part is over and behind us. Hopefully, we won't have much more after that. So hopefully, people will go back and start paying attention to the real news, to the real stuff that is happening around the world. I have been receiving tons of emails, inquiries from people talking about these recent emails that um, points out to some pedophilic operations and network and uh, Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton's involvement with that. 
But to be exact, the, the main questions I have been receiving from, from people has to do with, well, Sabelle, you exposed Dennis Hastert as a pedophile in 2006. You have spoken about how Congress gets to be blackmailed based on the documentation that the FBI and other agencies have on them, uh, documenting, recording their sexual deviations and other skeletons they have in their closets. How come you haven't been talking about it? Well, there, I just, I think, answered that. I, I have been talking about it, and I have talked about it. I have talked about it. It was published on Vanity Fair magazine in 2006 uh, through Boiling Frog's post, through James Corbett's Corbett's report. We have talked about not only Dennis Hastert, but we have talked about Congresswoman Jane Tchaikovsky in Illinois and her pedophilic husband, uh Robert Creamer, Bob Creamer, even that name, Bob Creamer, surfaced during all these uh, email leaks. The fact that he visited, and this is a convicted criminal. He's a crook. He's a charlatan. He was engaged in money laundering, etc. He was. This is the guy who's married to Congresswoman Jan Tchaikovsky. And Congresswoman Jan Tchaikovsky is the woman that I talked about under oath during my testimony and about the fact that her activities, sexual deviation activities, she was having lesbian love affairs with foreign spies, and they were using those and blackmailing her. And meanwhile, the U.S. government was collecting all this information, but instead of bringing it into some prosecution or exposing it, they were using it against her. Same thing with Dennis Hastert. Same thing with dozens of other congressional people. So the main question people ask is, well, Sabelle, do you think this points out to some sort of satanic, uh, pedophilic cult operation for the government? And uh, and I want to clarify what ha- what is happening here in in the most simple way. Look, I I have talked about the fact that one of my FBI whistleblowers, and this was a decorated agent, okay, who never became a public whistleblower, but he went through court cases with the FBI internally because he went to the DOJ IG, that's Inspector General's office, etc. One of the things that this guy exposed, and I and I went to the media and I had this guy on the record with him, but they never published, was he was working between 1993 and 1997. Uh, in this division in the FBI, where he, one of his tasks was running background check on federal judge candidates. And this is during the Clinton administration. Uh, because those federal judges have to be cleared by the FBI. They look at their backgrounds. Are they pedophiles? Are they rapists? You know, uh, do they have some financial nefarious activities, etc.? And he said during these four years, when this FBI agent, this decorated FBI agent, and this was 10 years or seven, eight years before he blew the whistle, he was running background checks on these federal judges. The way they were selecting the ones to a point were the ones who had the highest number of skeletons, meaning the, the government, this is the Clinton administration, this is the FBI, this is the head of DOJ, they did not want to appoint any federal judges to the bench and go through the confirmation process if the judges or the candidates didn't have enough skeletons, meaning they have to be rapists, pedophile, despicable characters, and this, that information is collected during the background check. And then they are used against these judges. So the judges rule 
per government's instruction. Very simple. Same thing. One of my main whistleblowing uh, facts that I, I, I exposed, and this was in 2002, two ta- between 2002 and 2006, I, and, and if people were to go and visit my state secrets gallery, they're going to see all these individuals, whether they were from the executive branch or congressional people, they were involved in the case I was exposing. And I talked about the fact that they were all blackmailed. Blackmailed by whom? They were blackmailed by the deep state. So instead of saying they formed a cult, I have to say what they do is the deep state, they want to make sure that only blackmailable, maybe I made up a word here, blackmailable candidates get to hold offices, whether executive offices or they are in Congress, you know, whether they are in courts, federal judges. If you're clean, if you're squeaky clean, and if you start running for for a major seat position, the chances are you're not going to get there because you will be disqualified. They don't want you there. They cannot put pressure on you via blackmail. So that's the answer to the questions. No, we're not gonna we're not gonna join this this crowd and talk about there is a cult. It's not about cult. This is how this corrupt system has been operating. I exposed this. We had Russell Tice, one of my whistleblower members. He was with the NSA for 15, 20 years. He came and he talked about the fact how NSA was collecting dirt, not only on on judges and senators and candidates for Congress, but even on the presidential candidates, straightforward. They were collecting dirt. Why Why do you think they are collecting dirt? Obviously, these people are not going to jail. Nobody's putting them into trial. And that was a major portion of my whistleblowing case. And that's why, no, I'm not going to rehash the whole thing. You are really interested in that. Everything is documented. You can listen to some of the podcasts. All you have to do is Google Sabal Edmonds, Pastor, Pedophiles. You can put there uh, Congresswoman Jan Tchaikovsky, okay? Jan Tchaikovsky was selling information to Israel. Jan Tchaikovsky was being blackmailed by certain foreign agents here in the United States. Jan Tchaikovsky's videotapes, sex videotapes, and her husband's pedophilic activities, they were contained in thick, large files in the FBI's Washington, D.C. office in coordination with the FBI's Chicago field office. So I am tired of rehashing this. I have done it long before there was a guy called WikiLeaks. We, we put forward whistleblowers long before they were other pseudo-alternative media who are making like a big cake batter with this. Go do your research. You see that we have been on the record. What can we add to this? What we can add to this is You have this illusion of some democratic government. You feel like you have some power. You feel like your vote means any but it doesn't, okay? This is a corrupt system. What you're looking at is dog and pony shows is filled with illusions. And the people that you obey, the people who are passing laws that you obey, you operate under, They are criminals. They are selected because they are criminals. That's how it goes. When you say chicken or the egg, in this case, it's a pretty obvious thing. So instead, let's start looking inwardly and say, we the people abide by the rules and the laws passed by the criminal class. And what does that say about us? Well, fear of the enemy images, fear of becoming a lawbreaker, 
the claims that the authorities make that we need them to protect us from these figures. I think that's part of the explanation, but for a fuller explanation of why people obey, I refer you to an Unwelcome Guests episode from a decade ago, episode number 382, The Authoritarians. Why do people obey? To conclude the show, we're going to hear a section of video by Anonymous, which explains the computer narration, and it has some visual elements. If you'd like to watch it, you can do so. I'll link to the video from this show's webpage, unwelcomeguests.net slash 748. In 1974, a group of child sex abusers launched the Pedophile Information Exchange, PIE. This group was legal at the time and sought to promote the rights of pedophiles. The group espoused the view that children had the right to indulge in their sexual feelings with adults and argued the age of consent should be lowered to four years old or abolished altogether. This was not some fringe group, hidden away. They had thousands of members, many from senior positions in the media, the security services, politics, and other establishment positions. The members were public and built affiliations with the Gay Liberation Front, the Campaign for Homosexual Equality, Mental Health Charity Mind, and even human rights organization Liberty, previously named the National Council for Civil Liberties. The leaders of PIE shared platforms with Harriet Harman, Patricia Hewitt, and others. PIE members had been using the contact page of their magazine, The Magbike, to connect and network with each other. They also used it to introduce consumers of child pornography to suppliers. In 1978, the homes of PIE members were raided and they faced charges of conspiracy against public morality. One person, however, was not tried. He was referred to as Mr. Henderson until the private outed him as Sir Peter Heyman, a senior diplomat and former British High Commissioner to Canada, while other PIE members who indulged in the same activity as Heyman were sent for trial at the Old Bailey. Heyman was sent home by the Attorney General and carried on regardless. PIE was dissolved in 1984, but not before it had allowed for the creation of a powerful network of pedophiles within the most senior ranks of the UK establishment. In the documentary, Nightmares at Home Guesthouse, former National Adult Advisor of the National Association for Young People in Care, NAYPIC, Chris Fay, attests that this pedophile ring was widely known, but that the membership of such senior figures had a double lock effect. Firstly, the members were in positions of such seniority that they had the political and financial power to keep stories suppressed, close down police investigations, and keep members out of jail. Secondly, the members were such significant establishment faces that the potential impact of their exposure incentivized those around them who knew to keep quiet. The Elm Guest House was a B&B in Barnes, West London, run by Hayward and Carol Cassier. The Guest House pitched itself as gay-friendly, but such a description does a great disservice to the gay community. On or around the Queen's Silver Jubilee in 1977, it began to host kings and queens parties for pedophiles, whereby members of PIE and another group promoting the sexual abuse of children, the Spartacus Club, could fulfill their desires. It is alleged that from 1977 onward, rich and powerful men were provided with a menu of children's photographs and school reports by members of Richmond Social Services. Once chosen, the child would be sourced from their children's home, 
most commonly, Grafton Close, just eight miles away, and taken to Elm Guest House. On arrival, the children would be drugged and abused, sometimes on camera, in the video facilities room, sometimes in a sauna, sometimes at sex parties, in a back room. Carol Cassier claimed to have kept names from the guest register of Elm Guest House, which include major establishment figures. The names are Anthony Blunt, Royal Connections, MI5, Traitor, Russian Spy Deceased. Harvey Proctor, Monday Club, well-known convicted pedophile. Sir Peter Bottomley, Worthing MP, and Monday Club. Charles Irving. Leon Britton, Lord, ex-Thatcher minister, likely the Tory ex-minister referred to anonymously, in recent new paper reports. Peter Brook, Life Peer. John Rowe, MI5, former MP. Cyril Smith, deceased, ex-Rochdale MP. Ron Brown. Colin Jordan, ex-National Front leader. George Tremlett, former GLC leader. Peter Campbell, Monday Club. Gary Walker, Sinfine. Cliff Richard, aged pop star, known at home guest house as Kitty. Jess Conrad, aged ex-pop star. Ron Wells, aged musician, aka Gladys, at home guest house. Richard Miles, Monday Club. Chris Denning, ex-BBC. DJ, convicted pedophile. R. Langley, Buckingham Palace Seclary. Terry Dwyer, Patrick Puddles. Lewis Minster, head of Richmond Social Services. Colin Peters, QZ, a convicted pedophile, sentenced to eight years in 1989. Steve Everett, senior Westminster social worker. Ray Wire, so-called expert on pedophile therapy. Peter Glencross, editor of Monday Club Newsletter. Guy Hamilton Blackwell, son of Westland Helicopters chairman. The plight of one particular boy illustrates the horrific nature of this network of abuse. Peter Hatton Bornchen and his brother David were put into care after their mother committed suicide in the 1970s. They were 12 and 13. One day, they were told by senior workers at Grafton Close Children's Home that they were going a treat. Their treat was a visit to Elm Guest House. Peter, his brother, and other boys were made to dress up as fairies, encouraged to become drunk, and invited to play a game of hide-and-seek. The boys were told to hide, and when caught by the adult men, would be sexually abused by their captor. Some of the men who raped, tortured, and sexually abused Peter and David have been named as Liberal MP, Cyril Smith, Catholic priest, Father Tony McSweeney, who officiated at the wedding of Frank Bruno, and deputy manager of Grafton Close Children's Home, John Stingmore, who also supplied the boys. Peter never got over the abuse he received at the hands of these men. He later complained about his treatment, and received compensation from Richmond Council, while the story remained suppressed. He fell into poor mental health, and was treated at Broadmoor. In 1994, just days after his 28th birthday, he killed himself with a fatal drug overdose. His suicide note included the words, I will get those bastards. The Elm Guest House was raided in 1982. Police found five pornographic videos of children, evidence of the cashier's neglect of their son Eric, and other vice charges. Over the next year, all charges related to the Elm Guest House were dropped, and only the cashiers faced charges of running a brothel for which they received a suspended sentence. The Elm Guest House closed shortly thereafter. 
1990, with her husband dead, and son Eric removed from her custody. It is alleged that Carol Kassir invited NAYPICs, Chris Faye, to view the contents of a box, which she claims contained a photograph of Leon Britton, while he was a minister of government, dressed as a nurse, with a naked 14-year-old boy on his lap. Kassir had many other pictures of senior members of the UK establishment at the King's and Queen's parties. Kassir refused to give Faye the box, but agreed for him to return a few days later and take photograph of the items. Kassir was found dead on the 17th of June 1990, age 47, before this meeting could take place. It was claimed she killed herself with an insulin overdose. Chris Faye and his colleague, Mary Moss, believe she was murdered. They argue. The last injection found on her body was 72 hours old and it is unheard of for a person to receive an insulin overdose and live for 72 hours. The syringe mark was also on her posterior, but she normally injected the insulin into her arm. The only person to corroborate Kassir's handwriting in the suicide note was David Desit, a known pedophile, with links to PIE and the Spartacus Club. Kassir had received threatening phone calls and intimidation from the police prior to her death. One example of earlier efforts to expose the network. Even if not complicit, the child sexual abuse ring around Elm Guesthouse, Grafton Close, and the UK establishment must have breathed a collective sigh of relief at Kassir's death. They had survived the police raid on PIE in 1978, which took out non-establishment members of PIE, but left the wider network and establishment figures untouched. Conservative MP Jeffrey Dickens repeatedly raised the issue of a London-based network of sexual abusers of children between 1981 and 1985. Dickens is believed he had uncovered an establishment network with what he described as big, big names. He held a 30-minute meeting with the Home Secretary in 1984, handing over a dossier of his evidence. The meeting is captured in both Hansard and the media at the time, with Dickens describing himself as encouraged following the meeting. The Home Secretary of the day, however, was none other than Leon Britton himself, named as a frequenter of Elm Guesthouse on the registers in Kassir's possession. The dossier never surfaced, no action was taken, Leon Britton claims no recollection of this publicly recorded meeting, and the Home Office say they have found no trace of the dossier. With both Carol and Hayward Kassir dead, the Elm Guesthouse closed and PIE disbanded. Only the children and their alleged abusers remained to tell the story. It seemed the establishment had won and the secrets would die with those who held them. Key figures from the period were also starting to reach the natural end of their lives before the truth of the network could be uncovered. MI5 and Special Branch helped maintain the cover of Cyril Smith until his death in 2010. Jimmy Savile had also been protected from prosecution for rampant rape and sexual abuse of children from when rumors first began circulating in 1964 to his death in 2011, which meant another key name and holder of secrets had left the scene. But immediately after his death, a sign of how open his secrets must have been, BBC News Night began an investigation into the allegations and the whole network began to blow up by tracing Savile's movements and interactions. The latest series of press interest and police investigations was triggered by Labour MP Tom Watson, who timed judiciously a question to Prime Minister David Cameron at the height of the furor over Jimmy Savile. 
Tom Watson, requested a full investigation of allegations of a powerful pedophile network linked to the parliament, and number 10, at Prime Minister's questions, on the 24th of October 2012. The Metropolitan Police launched Operation Fairbank shortly thereafter, and repeatedly denied such an investigation was underway when challenged by interested parties. Since that time, Operation Fernbridge has undertaken to investigate and prosecute those associated with the Elm Guest House. The actions of Tom Watson MP have helped raise awareness, while NAYPICs Chris Fay and Mary Moss, reporters at XRO News and filmmakers such as Bill Maloney have investigated over decades and provided the necessary evidence to maintain the case in the face of overwhelming pressure to suppress it. It is time to end the networks. Grafton closed children's home, celebrate the royal wedding, in 1981, with alleged child supplier Neil Keir on barbecue duty. I have long left this subject to others to write about. I had to sense that I should remain quiet on the matter until the legal process had concluded. I changed my mind after watching Nightmares at Home Guest House and reviewing the litany of prior police investigations, court cases, and media scandals on the matter. It appears that however close it has seemed, justice has failed to be done for many decades. The establishment has circled the wagons each time, sacrificed a pun or two, to sate the appetites of public and press, then carried on business as usual. When one looks closer, we are facing the unfolding nightmare that politicians, pop stars, and media figures have been supplied vulnerable children to rape and abuse by members of the social services over decades. It is beginning to appear quite certain that a significant number of children's homes and institutions for young people have been complicit in abuse on an industrial scale. It is also apparent that a persistent cover-up has people silenced, threatened, and perhaps even killed to maintain the silence and the networks of abuse. The list is growing as follow. Autologaran, Children's Home in Jersey. The network of six children's homes in and around Nottingham. Long-term and extensive abuse at the network of children's homes in North Wales. The abuse at a church in Edinburgh Children's Home. A series of allegations against staff at Cranbourne Children's Home in Kent. The Duncroft-approved school for girls, which provided Jimmy Savile with children with whom to engage in sex acts. These are but a few of the scandals to emerge in recent years. The reason for us all to pay attention, and for independent journalists and parties to maintain the pressure on this story, is simple. It is likely that the networks and foul individuals involved have been allowed to fester, largely unchallenged, by the institutions intended to hold them to account. This and all previous episodes are available for download from our website at unwelcomeguests.net. As always, I would value your feedback on the show, and especially I'm considering changing the format of the show as far as time limits. We've up to now always made it 1 hour 59, sometimes it takes me ages to make it exactly that length, so... If you have strong feelings either way, whether that's important or whether it's not important, then please get in touch. You can email me, unwelcome at unwelcomeguests.net.